Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to another episode of Chase the Vase podcast. I am completely honored and blessed to have on set today, Tanya Scott. I need to put out a, a disclaimer on this one, Tanya. I got to let people know that there's going to be triggers. We're going to talk about some triggering events maybe in your life. There might be some elements of sexual abuse. So we'll talk about some suicide. We'll talk about mental health, physical health, cancer. We're going to go through the gamut of what's going on in our lives today. And so I appreciate you being willing to come on the show to be vulnerable and be raw. And I just want everybody to know out there that this is your first time sharing your story. So if you get emotional, it's okay. If you laugh and giggle through crazy parts, it's okay. We understand the capacity. But before we start, I always like to thank our first responders, our veterans who are out there just giving it up for us. I know that you have a, a love for veterans, as love for, for those men and women who are, who are going through it. I know that your husband spent... 17 years? Uh, no, he was in Operation Desert Storm, Desert Storm. So he was only able to serve four years before being discharged. And I'll explain it. It's pretty brutal. Yeah, this story. So what I'm going to say is tell, I'm going to tell you all to buckle up. Get ready. We're going to hear Tanya's story. And I hope that you pull something from it. You, Tanya. And I hope the listeners can be empowered to your story. So Tanya, why don't you take me back as far as you want to go? I know that uh, we talked before about some mental health, some suicide prevention, and what's going on in people's minds, that these demons in our head are real, some complex PTSD and secondhand PTSD. So you're going to throw some of these words out that maybe not everybody completely understands. So if you mind taking a little bit deeper dive on those, it would be appreciated. Hey, first and foremost, thank you. Thank you to everybody listening, men and women in uniform both here and abroad. We thank you for your service. So yeah, let's dive deep into this. So my life has been pretty brutal. We hear people going through stuff and, and managing how to go through it, but I never had the ability to go through it because I grew up in the church. So it was hidden behind the church. And that was very traumatic, very traumatic in my life. I was molested as a child and until I was 11 years old. It was me and my three sisters. So until we were 11, I have no idea when it began. I have no idea. I have very vivid memories. I do remember a lot of things. That's why I do have complex PTSD because there's certain smells that trigger me. And it's very hard for me to sit in that pain because this is, we're talking seven, eight years old when this happened. And here I am 37 and I'm still dealing with triggers and dealing with the pain on a daily basis. Now I'm going to interrupt you. I'm getting emotional over here because the same thing happened to me at that age. And it wasn't until later in my life till I was in my forties that a smell triggered it. You are the first person that has ever come on this show and said that. And so I feel like there's a little bit of validation that you said it started at a young age. Do you know who the offender was? I mean, I'm sure you do. It, there's two. So it was my uncle and my cousin, and it was his son. 
And I, I would like to believe he did not know any better because the sins of the father, because he's deaf and mentally retarded. So I have to believe the sins of the father on this one. He taught him how to do it. And so he was probably offended as well. Probably. My cousin, their daughter, she got killed in a car accident. And we believe that she was molested as well. And the only reason all this is coming up again is that whole family is dead now. So it's like you didn't, I never had that closure to say, look him in the face and say, why? Right. I never had that. And a lot of people are like, sometimes you don't want to do that. And I'm like, but that's a part of my healing. I want to know why. And the only closure I got was writing, I forgive you on a balloon at his funeral, let it go. And that's all I had. And so how is it like by doing that, trying to get that closure, do you feel like you got it? I will never have closure because of the triggers. If we're going to be raw and honest and 100% vulnerable, there's a certain smell in the summertime that I smell after rain that takes me back into the woods where he molested me and I play it out day by day, like minute by minute. I remember everything to a T. So that is so hard. When you talk about triggers, will you go into a little bit deeper on that so people can really grasp what you're talking about? So when I talk about triggers, it can be a certain smell. It can be a certain feeling. It could be a certain song. It can be anything that can trigger you back to that painful moment. And then you have to learn how to sit in that darkness and work through it. You have to be vulnerable. You have to sit there and say, oh my gosh, I'm living this moment again. How am I going to make it through it? So are you able to do that? I am. I have stuff that works for me. So what works for me is, and a lot of times it's when I'm driving. So when I have that trigger, when I'm driving, I space out. I completely space out. I'm back in the woods. This is where I'm at. And like I keep perfume, stuff like that in my truck. So I always spray because instantaneously I get the smell. I close my eyes. I sit in that moment and then I spray perfume to get out of it. And that's the only way that I can work through it because I've never been taught how to heal from this. So now this is all new for me. This is all reliving everything. And this started back in 2019 when I hit that wall. Everybody hits a wall at some point in their life where they say, I can't do this anymore. And I hit that wall in 2019 and I really was going to take my life. And it doesn't matter how strong of an advocate I am and how much I talk about mental health and suicide. It's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. I hit that wall. I had a bottle of Percocet in my hand and I was ready to swallow a bottle of Percocet because I couldn't deal with it anymore. When you have people that are constantly, like I have people that I have to show up for every day. I have to show up for them regardless if I'm having a very crappy day, I have to show up because they need that person. And I can't be 100% that person if I'm not healing myself. So I'm learning over the last few years, I'm learning how to heal myself and what that looks like. And it's hard. It's so freaking hard. I come home after therapy and I ball my eyes out and I probably will sleep the rest of the day because I'm so exhausted from sitting through three hours of intense therapy. And it's brutal. It really is. People don't understand that you suppress everything for so long until it builds up. And once it builds up, you have no place to run. You have to sit in it. You have to face it and punch it right in the face. So Tanya, I'm, I'm throwing you out a virtual hug right now. I want you to know that because I know this is so difficult to talk about. I wanted you to do me a favor though. 
no more driving and spacing out. Because I'm hearing this, I'm like, no, you can't go there when you're driving. But that's the reality with the trigger. You never know when it's going to happen. And I tell people this all the time with like family members of combat veterans, you can be going over a bridge and they're triggered and they can be driving because they see a bridge and all they remember is flashback going to Mogadishu or Kuwait or Iraq or Afghanistan somewhere and a bomb blowing up the bridge and they were right there. Like these triggers are a reality. And this is back in their home turf. This is them having to live through this every single day. So we have to normalize talking about what a trigger looks like to them. Like I said, certain smell, they smell death. They smell body. I mean, you guys smell things. I was a nurse at at the VA. I was a nurse my whole life. And I've seen trauma. I've held death in my hands. I've had people die in my hands. I smell blood. I, it's that smell you will never, ever, ever forget. And that's traumatizing to people. Totally. Oh, my gosh. I, I can think about all the body bags that got deployed in traffic accidents and mixed with blood. The smell of that. It's like, oh. So just if you don't mind, let me throw in a little teaching moment for those listening. Maybe this will help you, Tanya, as well. There's two types of triggers. There's an external trigger and an internal trigger, just so, so we can understand, like, your external trigger is usually something visual, something that you're touching, right? It's probably, like, internal trigger would be your smells, and internal trigger would be those thoughts, those thoughts that reoccur in, those visual stimulants that make us, take us right back to that moment. I bet you both you and I have more internal triggers than external triggers, People that are in active addiction and they've had drug dealers and users and they've seen pills, that's an external trigger as well. That's something they see as visual, the straws. So I hope that kind of makes sense a little bit. It does. And and I'm going to touch on that. And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to touch on that. My sister, I have a twin sister. She was on heroin and meth. Never knew it. She hit it so well. She was a nurse. She hit it so well. She hit it for eight years. And like, she overdosed, and I literally held her in my hands. If anybody knows anything about twins, you have an inseparable bond. When she's in trouble, I know she's in trouble because I can feel it. When she's depressed, I'm depressed. When she's happy, I'm happy. I missed it. I missed every sign of addiction, and it was the hardest thing I've ever had to live through. She destroyed the family, and I love her to death. She lives with me, and I have to keep an eye on her, and that's a full-time job. So she overdosed and did Narcan bring her back or how did she come back? It was in the emergency room. We had to rush her to the emergency room. I watched them pump her guts full of charcoal. I watched them do it. I watched her lifeless body on the gurney or on the hospital bed. And I sat with her from one o'clock in the afternoon till one in the morning. And I finally left and I cried. And after that, she tried to hang herself because she could not deal with being sober. She couldn't, and she still is not sober. Talk to me about that, because that, that's a big portion of my podcast and what I do. People just think you can get sober overnight. Like, hey, just change your mind, go to God, do whatever, you can do it. And people understand that that chemical hook, that monster that gets in your brain and hooks in there and barrels the, down deep, it is just encapsulates everything that we try to do. Because I was an opiate addict. And so I understand what you're going through, Don, and I'm like, my heart's breaking for you. And I've seen those visuals. I've seen people overdose. It is raw. It is so difficult. And then how do you, once they get through it, how did you help her? What are you doing today to help her? Well, we did it wrong. 
you did it way wrong because we forced her. You can't force an addict into rehab. And we did it. We court ordered her. You're no longer a guardian. I'm your guardian. Mom and I are going to take care of you. And it was the worst thing that we could have ever done. So I beg people, do not force anybody to do anything. When they're ready, they're ready. Yeah. Can we speak on that a second? Because I think this is so powerful, Tanya. You know, you see the show Intervention on TV and you're like, oh, that's how it's supposed to be. That's the model for some people that may work. But the majority of drug addicts, a majority of alcoholics, there has to come a point, a rock bottom, a serenity point, a, a pivot point, whatever you want to call it. And you got to get me in that moment. And if that time is past, you're not getting me. And that's so, so valuable that you say that every person recovers differently. I'm glad you said that you guys did it wrong. It's not wrong. You just don't know how the person is going to heal. This is the ignorance of me, right? You were raised in this family in a Christian home and it's never going to affect me, right? Until it's in your back door and you have no choice but to address it. So my, here's my dad. My dad's a firefighter. My brother's a firefighter. My mom's a nurse. I'm a nurse. I, I was a nurse. I've lived a military life. I was supposed to notice this, right? Never saw it coming until I was her boss. I got her job and I was her boss. And all of a sudden needles started missing and spoons started missing. And she passed out in front of me while she was talking. And I was like, there's something wrong with you. What are you on? And she would just be like, nothing, nothing. And she would just throw up all over herself. There's no way that you are not on something. I completely missed it. And it's because I was blind to it in the same year. So this all happened in 2016, 2017. And my life was already flipped upside down at that point as I got injured by a brain injury patient. So I, my nursing career was over. And now I have to deal with my sister and my best friend killed himself. Found him in a crack house, abandoned crack house with a syringe in his, with a syringe in his arm. Facebook post that said, I'm sorry in case you didn't know. And they found him and he gave himself a hot shot. And my sister is the one that showed him how to shoot up heroin. So she lives with that every single day and she can't face it because she lost her best friend because she showed him how to do it. So now she's an alcoholic and she starts drinking as soon as she gets up and she drinks till she passes out. She tells me all the time, you took my drugs away from me so I have no choice. Isn't it crazy that trauma, I know you're going to get into it as well. And you've talked about your childhood trauma. Isn't it amazing how trauma continuously makes us sick because we're as sick as our secrets and the trauma and the addiction and all these negative vibes are putting us, are keeping us sick. You're experiencing that your sister had trauma. That's keeping her in active addiction. She doesn't want to cope. Yep, she's never healed. So that so what I'm doing is me healing myself and showing her that you can do it. We can get through this together. We can get on the other side of it. But because she lived the street life, she she was prostituted out. She was she was raped. She was held at gunpoint. She was shot at. She lived that life. So because of that, I personally have never live that life. So I don't know how to help you. Like you need some serious intervention. And that's why we thought court ordering her into rehab was the right thing to do. It wasn't because they put her right back in the same city where all her drug dealers were, 
And all she had to do was give them a call and they snuck it into her. And she pissed dirty every single time. And we're just like, what are we doing? You literally put this, our world's upside down. We went to my brother's house because that's where we found her. And we found an eight ball of heroin on the ground and a needle and a syringe. And I've never seen this in my life. I've never been around it. I'm looking at it like, this is not my reality right now. Complete denial, shut down, wanted nothing to do with this, absolutely hated her. What are you doing? I can't believe you're doing this. And I literally had to sit and realize that, like, this is a reality in my family now. I have to learn. I have to educate myself on this because I have no idea how to do this. I have no idea. So how do I do it? And I had to study and I had to look up and I I had to put myself in some very vulnerable situations to understand. Like when you sit with drug addicts and you sit in their pain with them and you watch them do drugs and you're trying to understand, like I understand why people do it. I do with all my heart. I understand because the people that I have talked to and the people that I try to get help, there's so much trauma and so much pain that it's better to run from it than it is to sit in it. I completely get it. So why fight sobriety? You know, I'm listening to you, Tanya, and I'm hearing this, but man, there's so much hope on this other side, you know? And I, and I see this trauma and it's just, man, it's so bad. But I also know the flip side of this is what we can feel when we find that sobriety. So how do you shift? How do you teach people? How do you push people into saying, not push them, but how do you help them understand that there's another side of the fence? I have to sit in their pain with them. And I don't think a lot of people are willing to sit in the pain with them. And if you don't and you can't become vulnerable and you can't empathize with them, then that's not a place for you to be. You have to meet them where they're at. Because if you don't, they'll never, ever, ever, you'll never be able to pull them out. I have to sit next to you in your pain and say, it's okay. I will sit here. I will be vulnerable. Uh, Whatever I have to do, I will sit here. And then I hope and pray that you come out with me. So Tanya, let's go back to your story. Let's get back into it because I'm really excited. I I don't want you not to have an opportunity to share. So I I want to make sure we dive back into this. So tell me where you're at right now. All right, so we did the childhood. So at 21, 21, I was brutally raped. And you talk about a woman that believed in God that had no faith at that point. I gave up on going to church. I gave up on everything. I was at the bar Wednesday through Friday, or Wednesday through Saturday, jumping from hospital to hospital for pain pills until I got flagged in the system. I went through addiction myself because I didn't want to deal with it. Because here I am, here's my thought process. I went through all this as a child and now here I am 21 years old and it happens again. Like, what did I do? Right. You sit there and you say, what did I do? I got set up. I got set up and I, and I should have seen it coming and I didn't see it coming and I got set up. And at that point it was all downhill from there. I met my husband at the bar. I met him at the bar and three days later he called me and that's where everything, that's where my hell started. Three days later. So mind you, I have never healed from this. My parents doubted because they thought I'm just a little thought out there messing around with men because I'm at the bar, but that's not because I'm running away from my pain. And that wasn't even the case. So my parents didn't believe me, but they were in denial because they were like, yeah, this can't be happening again. Right. So now you have no family support. What do you do? 
So that's where I met my husband. I met him at the bar and he was just getting out of the army and he was down in Fort Hood, Fort Hood, Texas. And he got hit upside the head with a two by four on base and they never did anything about it. They stapled him up, 26 staples from the bottom of his head to the top, stapled him up and sent him back to active duty. And within a year, he started showing signs of a brain injury. And I have to believe that the lack of knowledge and understanding of what a brain injury was back in that time is the reason why he didn't get the treatment he needed. I have to believe that because the ignorance, the complete ignorance of not doing a follow-up and everybody knows, like any first-year student, any CNA would know. Anybody that's in the medical field would know you have a, a blunt force hit to the head. You need x-rays to follow up to make sure there's no internal bleeding. There was nothing. So within a year, he's already showed signs of a traumatic brain injury. He was showing up to formation without his uniform pressed. He was mouthing off to NCOs. He started getting demoted rank, just kept going downhill, 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 showing up drunk. Last draw, he had weed in the barracks. They did, gave him a dishonorable discharge. And that was probably the biggest thing Like that he gave up on life at that point. He said, F you, F the government, F the world. I don't care. I'm out of here. Because he was literally struggling and did not know how to comprehend what was going on with himself. And that's where my fight started. My fight started because I had to fight the system. I had to fight the system reversing his dishonorable discharge because he got hit upside the head while in active duty. I lived hell. Well, I speak openly about this. He was very abusive. He knocked me out. There's always going to be love in my heart for him because some of the things he did was not his fault. It was the brain injury. But I lived it. I lived it silently behind closed doors. And I got abused verbally, mentally, physically, emotionally. I was abused every day until I was absolutely nothing. Nobody as a person. And I had to learn to pick myself up. And that was probably the hardest thing to do because I hated him. And there was nothing more I could do. He didn't want to go get help. He tried to kill himself. He's had five suicide attempts. He tried to sever the main artery in his leg so he could just die because it was too much for him. And it wasn't until 2009, the VA said, here's the deal. You go down to Battle Creek, you get the test. If you have a TBI, we'll reverse it. We'll reverse it. We admit guilt. It's in your file. We'll do it. Within 24 hours, it came back. He had five three centimeter inch calcified blood clots on his brain and they missed it completely missed it so here's a man i got a shell of a body of a man who's completely violent he's 100 percent homebound disabled homebound his license plate is marked as proceed with caution for anybody that approaches him he doesn't go anywhere he's 47 years old and diagnosed with early onset dementia what kind of life is that what kind of life is that left for a soldier that served his country. Like to me, that is that's the epitome of being thrown out. And I can't help him and I can't be there for him. And he's suffering. He's suffering every day. So ultimately, it sounds like they did the right thing. They came back in, they reversed it. How's he doing today? He struggles every day. Still struggling. Is he still in active addiction? He smokes weed every day. Every day, that's, his, that's all he does. Like, I can tell you his routine, like, at the back of my hand. He gets up, he goes to the bathroom, turns the TV on, rolls a joint, gets some coffee, sits there and watches the news for the next three hours, smoking weed. Then he'll start laundry. Monday's his laundry day. Monday's his laundry day. Tuesday's lawn day. Wednesday's shopping. Like, that's his routine. 
and I speak openly on this because we failed to realize that there has always been routine in service and family members don't understand that when they come back from active duty and if there's no structure for them, you throw them into a tailspin. You're absolutely right. So Tanya, okay, I'm hearing this story and wow. Number one, thank you for, for sharing that so openly. Eight years old, you're molested. No, till like I don't I don't even know when that began until I was eleven. Active addiction, another incident of rape, abuse, loss of a relationship with God. How I know today you are a voice for people. You carry a cause, you carry a message, and I want to know today how you pivoted, how you made it from such a difficult situation to where you are as a beacon today. Talk to me about that. It was God. I speak openly about God and my faith because when I when I say that I was in the bowels of hell, I was in the bowels of hell. I literally stared the devil in the eyes. And it was the hardest thing I ever had to do. I remember I was on the floor in my bedroom and I was shaking so bad. And all I kept saying is, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I was on the ground shaking so incredibly bad because I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. And I have to believe with all my heart and soul that I had to live these moments in my life to help somebody else. So what are you doing today to help other people? Oh, my gosh. Tell us about your cause. Tell us about it. We want to know. All right. So Together for the Good Incorporated is a national nonprofit. And we are avid, very, very avid in the mental health sector, PTSD, TBI. But we don't sit there and take care of the soldier and the person in crisis. We take care of the family because there is no family support. So because I've walked that line, I've been through that, I've been through the hell. It was easy enough for me to say, let's unite as a family. There's enough services out there for these men and women that are in crisis to get the help they need. There's no support for the family. So essentially, that is what we do. Family crisis intervention, mental health, PTSD, brain injury awareness. And I go across the nation. We are nationally, we are national. We are in, I can't even tell you how many states are on the national registry. Like I'm avid in the White House as a community advocate. That is, I believe with all my heart and soul that if we do not have a solid structure at home, the divorce rate's gonna stay high, the suicide rate's gonna stay high, the, the children being affected by PTSD is gonna be high. People don't understand the ripple effect of just one person being hurt. So because I've lived it, I've learned how to cope with it, I know how to give the tools to the next person and say, now it's time for me to pull you up, let's go. Tanya, this excites me so much. I love the redemption story and thank you for sharing that. I'm serious. Like our stories are very similar. I laid on that bathroom floor. You were in a room. I was on the bathroom shivering. You know, I testify that I, I know it was God. I know it was God. It was pulling me through it. And the only way for us to overcome these challenges, abuse, uh, domestic violence, addiction, anger, fear, Whatever it is we have in our lives, there's one person that is the healing power. And I think you and I both had, had to touch it. We had to put our fire on that flame, right? Now we have a voice. And now you have a voice of doing these enormous things. And so if somebody wants to get a hold of you and your organization, where do we send them? Togetherforthegood.org. 
you fill out a referral sheet, whatever you need, we'll help you with. I've, we are heavily connected. So therefore, if I can't do it for you, you send it to somebody else. And it's a matter of making sure that you know that being vulnerable is okay. Being open is okay. Somebody is out there willing to help you. You just have to be willing to come forward and say, I'm ready. All right. I love it. Thank you so much. I have chills sitting here thinking about where you came from, you know, because you could have buckled along the way. Like many people that we work with and we know they buckle as soon as it gets hard. Well, I've been abused. I've been struck by my spouse. I have active addiction. I can't change. And I just want people to look at you and say, hey, if Tanya can get through these hard things, so can I. And I've got MS. Every day I suffer. I got cancer. Every day I suffer. If I can do it, you can do it. This is your second bout with cancer, correct? Yep. People, we haven't even got into this. I want you to take, I want you to text and I want you to get a hold of Tanya. Just throw her some love. Thank you so much. Thank you for chasing the vase. Thanks for all the first responders out there. Please go to her website. Check out Fight Like David backslash Jumpstart to learn more about active recovery and start chasing the vase. Thank you, Tanya, and have a wonderful day. You as well. You've been listening to Chase the Vase Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh, weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.